you weren't here last week, I, I shared my story. Some people may refer to that as a testimony. I'll share a little bit more about that this week. But if you missed that, I think it would help you understand why we operate the way that we operate, why we do the things that we do, why we don't do some of the things that we don't do. And you guys didn't think that was funny, so I'm just going to keep going. Um, go, go check that out. In fact, and let me just take this opportunity quickly. This is a, a little bit of a housekeeping moment. If you call this place home, if you've been living for Jesus for any length of time whatsoever, I actually want to encourage you today. If you can't share your story today, go home and write it down. If you can't share who you were apart from Christ, but who you are because of Christ, then go home today. Take the time, write that thing out, work on it a little bit, hone it down to where you can share that with somebody in 90 seconds to five minutes. Why? Because people, you've heard me say this before, people can argue with your interpretation of Scripture and your interpretation of history, but they cannot argue with a transformed life. They can't not argue with your story, but if you don't know it, then you can't share it. Don't take for granted that you have that ability. Go home and work on it. Hey, so often I, I think that we give God credit when things go wrong. Like we cry out, we call out, we fuss out. Sometimes we even cuss out, maybe not God, but other people. Um, and when things aren't going well, right? Um, so often we need to take the opportunity to actually give God glory when things are going well. So just to reiterate um, from last week, we had our Freedom Conference last week, actually Crossroads who helped us get this thing going here. They had theirs this week. I don't know what their numbers were, but I know as a pastor, when we have 20 people confess that they have been delivered from shame and guilt and even some from abuse. When we have over 20 people say they are confident that they have been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of a personal prayer language. Y'all, I used to cry out to God because I couldn't get 20 students to come to a room that would hold 200. We had 20 people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Their prayer language be delivered. We baptized several people last Sunday, and it is a statistical anomaly what happened at our church last week, because November is predominantly, according to church attendance statistics, the month that people begin to maybe drift out of their attendance, November, December. Hey, by the way, thank you for weathering the frost of 2022, the 40 degree South Louisiana weather this morning. Hear ever so slight sense of sarcasm coming from my voice today. Hey, if you're watching us online, we're really glad that you've... <laughs> If you can't be here, we're glad that you've tuned in as well. But last Sunday, and this is just one of those moments I think we're supposed to celebrate as a church, we had the highest attended 
Sunday that we have ever had in my history of tenured pastor of this church. We had over 770 people on campus last week. All that guy cares about is numbers. Okay, number one, so. Number two, God wrote a book called Numbers. Number three, every, every empty chair represents an empty soul. Number four, no, I don't only care about numbers. I just celebrated 20 people that were delivered and filled with the Spirit. I care about all of those things, and I think that we're supposed to give God glory whenever he does something. Speaking of honor, where honor is due, I just want to echo my brother-in-law. I thank you for your service. I'm wearing my flight jacket that was given to me because I've never flown anything outside of paper airplanes and other people's drone, but my father-in-law served in the army, Papa T, Anthony Kaviter served. I have an uncle, I have a brother actually serving currently in the National Guard. And I just want you to know, if you've served in any branch of our military, if you are a veteran, um, everything that I just mentioned that took place last weekend is because of your willingness to fight for our country, to fight for our freedom. We don't get together in the name of Jesus if you didn't sacrifice that time and that area of your life. And so truly today to all of our veterans, we say thank you for fighting so that we can freely gather in the name of Jesus in this country. I don't say that because I'm supposed to. I say that because I truly mean it. I'm going to sweat in this flight jacket just to prove it this morning. The challenge of this week, the message for this week, is that we would never settle for less than God's best in our lives. I think this Veterans Day weekend, that's a great challenge. People have given their lives so that you could never settle for less than God's best in your life, so that I could never come to a place where I become settled with less than what God has for me. Last week, I had a lot of great feedback. So many people came to me and, and just affirmed and, and loved on me and sharing my story and da, 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 all these things. And thank you for your affirmation. The month of October, uh, as a staff, we felt so appreciated. My bride, my babies, my children, it is nothing but honor in this house. For all of those of, of you who heard my testimony and uh, you realized how jacked up I, I actually am and you still came back anyways, praise the Lord. Um, thank you for not sending that email this week. I would have deleted it anyway. But you're here, and I don't want you to listen to my story of who I was apart from Christ. And as I said last week, I don't, number one, I don't want you to listen to my story and excuse your sin. Okay, I also don't want you to listen to my story and or our message and continue in condemnation that Jesus wants to change. I also don't want you to listen to anything I ever say and feel sorry for me or anybody else on this staff. I actually, I, I hate those meme social media things or the GIF or GIF or GIF is J-I-F and I've been eating that on sandwiches my whole life. I don't know why we call that a GIF. It's a GIF. It says G-I-F. Anyways, I don't like the ones that like, they're this big long thing about, you know, how hard it is to be a pastor and, and how, how, how much sacrifice it takes to be. 
I don't like the phrase. Like, I, I agree with somebody I look up to that that old, I'll surrender to the call of the ministry. Hear me. This is the first note of the morning. It is an absolute privilege to pastor people. Pastoring people is one of the greatest privileges. I don't go through any more than most of you go through. I don't struggle with any more stress than any other business leader or bill payer in this room right now. Don't miss out on God's will and fulfillment for your life because you're not on staff at a church. Don't miss out on pastoring, serving, giving, going, ministering, praying, because you're not paid to be on staff at a church. Whether you're serving in the infant room or the toddler room, or you're working with children or teenagers throughout the week, maybe you're hosting a group or you're leading a group or you're going to next semester in the name of Jesus. Don't miss out on the privilege that it is to be a servant of the Most High God. That is not a sacrifice. That is the greatest opportunity that any born-again, baptized in the Spirit child of God could ever get to be a part of. But don't miss out on your call just because you don't get paid to be on staff at a church full-time. I'm going to give you three notes today, and uh, I'm going to hone in on the last one. I'm going to go through the first three pretty quickly. Some of you recognize this probably a little bit better than you should. It's a very popular label, and some of you are probably about to struggle a little bit because I'm thirsty, and, and I like the taste, right? That's the, that's the essence. Some of you... You're about to, I really hope the live feed didn't just go out. Um, some of you are really struggling right now because you think that I just took a sip of beer, but it's actually just a minute made fruit punch <laughs> with a covering. See, the point of that whole illustration outside of freaking people out that didn't know about it was number one, we tend to hold pastors to higher standards than we hold ourselves. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, I like this church. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> I'm going to get you too. <laughs> See, before I was a pastor by vocation, I was a person trying to figure out, and I used to have some of the same mentality towards pastors or church leaders or people who've been living for Jesus a long time as some of you. Like, I didn't think that they should be able to have a bad day. Like, it, it threw me off one time when, when my pastor was in a bad mood, and, and, he, and he said something that was a little bit sharp to somebody. I thought, my goodness. Has he forgotten that he is the pastor of a church and that he should not act that way towards people? I've carried that same mentality, and I realized it was because I held my pastor to a higher standard than I held myself. That's number one. Number two, others hold believers to higher standards 
than they hold themselves. See, some of you have never struggled with that can of Budweiser, but if I were to wave this in your face, it causes something to stir on the inside of you. And I have heard this. I mean, you could be the most rebellious, atheist, unbelieving, get God's word away from me. I want nothing to do with scripture or the people that believe in it. And you might not know any other verse, but every sinner knows one verse and they will quote it to you. It says, you can't judge me. Christians are not supposed to judge. See, that's actually not what it says. <laughs> they think that's how that applies. And, and we walk around and we understand that other people hold believers to higher standards than they hold themselves. And then they will justify their behavior based off of the person that they're watching. Just like some people will do to pastors. And it does kind of drive me crazy, and you're, you're going to feel me kind of jumping back and forth on this spectrum here. It does kind of drive me crazy when I see a man that can't hold his pants up without suspenders preaching about how the devil's brew is going to send you to the darkest place in hell. You know what? Them Twinkies going to end your life sooner than they should, too. <laughs> It's just interesting to me that we jump on soapboxes and call them scripture. And we can justify whichever end of the spectrum that we happen to want to stand on. Because I had to write a, and just remember, we're in this series called Confessions of a Pastor. Don't feel sorry for us or yourself. I had to write a policy to protect my staff members from spending hours away from their family outside of the normal 40-hour work week and or our already established office hours because we live in a society where most people will spend more on cakes than they will honor officiants. Hang on. Most people will spend more on alcohol at a wedding than they will the officiant that held the covenant of the wedding. Why? Because we've always enjoyed the celebration more than the covenant. And we still live in the same way. Some of us hold pastors to a higher accountability than we hold ourselves. Some of us get mad because other people hold believers to a higher accountability than they hold themselves. Hear me, listen, if you're living for Jesus and somebody holds you to a higher accountability, if somebody holds me to a higher accountability, I had to write a, po a policy to protect our facility because people think that we're just supposed to lend this thing out for free and then clean up after them and not say anything about it and people have gotten mad why because this is part of the process
of walking this thing out on a daily basis. Because some people are going to hold you to a higher accountability than you hold yourself because you are their example. What you say, how you behave, what you do, what you don't do, that is right up beside the word of God for them because you are the only Jesus that some people see. So number three, and here's where we're going to really dig today. We should all hold ourselves to higher standards than we hold anyone else. That is the essence of this issue. So you may be one of those people that have never tasted one of these, but you can't turn down one of these. It's like being at Thanksgiving. You're like, oh, I'm so full. I can't eat another bite. Ooh, is that pumpkin pie? <laughs> hear me, watch, hear me, watch this. See, your health is no less important than your sobriety. Unless you've just picked which end of the spectrum you want to stand on and point your finger at other people. Because it always feels better to accuse than it does to be held accountable. Everybody wants influence, but nobody wants to be held accountable. Everybody wants to sing on the stage, but don't nobody want me telling them what they can and can't post on their story. Everybody wants to be on the prayer. I can't get no help today. I better stick to my notes. The last time I checked, excess is excess. Gluttony is gluttony. Leading somebody astray is leading somebody astray. And we should all hold ourselves, every single one of us. Hang on, hang on, watch. You should hold yourself to a higher standard than you hold your spouse. I just fixed your marriage. <laughs> you should hold yourself, hang on, hang on, to a higher standard than you hold your child. If it ain't good for a child, it ain't good for a child of God. You should hold yourself to a higher standard then you hold anybody else that has influence in your life. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 says this. I'm reading from the Berean Standard Bible because it was just really convenient to pull these together, and I like the way that the Scripture is interpreted here. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, he says, You should be blameless and pure. This is the pursuit of our heart that you should be blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a crooked and perverse generation. We know how crooked and perverse the world is. You don't have to keep complaining about it. Come on, we know Jaden Daniels needs to throw the football. Quit screaming at the TV. I'm preaching to myself today, somebody. Well, I'm just trying to make it practical this morning. Hear me. This culture doesn't need to hear about another mighty move of God. This culture 
needs to see someone transformed by the power of God. This generation is not looking for the supernatural. They're just looking for someone to be authentic, which is, by the way, one of the most supernatural things that you could do in this excessively emotionally unstable society. Because Paul said that the church should shine as lights in the world. Paul writes to his spiritual son in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 7. He says, give these instructions to the believers. Those who gave their lives to Jesus last week, last year, or 25 years ago. You don't get to get upset because people hold you to a higher standard than they hold themselves. You can have that conversation, but say this to the believers so they will be above reproach. What does that mean? It means that you live above the accusation. You live and strive for purity in a perverse generation. You live and strive to, for the discipline and the behavior in a perverse generation, in a crooked world, so that people would have to make things up in order to not live for Jesus when they look at your life that they would have to nitpick you to pieces in order to find something about you that would cause them to be able to stay in their sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, the apostle Peter writes, Conduct yourselves with such honor during elections. Conduct yourselves with such honor when Iota plays Eunice. Come on, somebody. If you're not from here, you don't get it. But if you are, you know what I'm talking about. Conduct yourselves with such honor when the referee calls something stupid against your baby. Conduct yourselves with such honor among the Gentiles. And this is a reference to people who do not yet believe that though they slander you as evildoers, even if they make up accusations about you because you are truly aspiring in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit to live above reproach, that then they, when they look at your life and they see your good deeds, they glorify God on the day he visits. Because three verses later is one of the scriptures that I referenced last week where Peter says in verse 15, it is the will of God. By the way, this is a really good memory verse. I told you I was reading Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 and I read that only those who do the will of the Father shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Okay, and then we looked up, okay, what is the will of God? Peter says, it is the will of God that you would stop holding other people more accountable than you hold yourself that by doing good in the name of Jesus, we're not taking it out of context, you would silence the ignorance of the foolish. Let's go back to this uh, wine and beer and spirits and strong drink and alcohol consumption thing. Remember, this is a series called Confessions of a Pastor and I'm not about to confess that I got drunk last week. See, today the confession is not what I've done. 
But what I'm praying that God will do in all of us is that we would come to a place where we never settle for less than God's best in any area of our lives. Let me just honestly admit something. If you want to look through God's word and justify having a drink or a glass of wine, then you can do that. In the Old Testament, celebrations included wine. Why? Because people were always more interested in celebration than they were covenant. In fact, Psalm chapter 104, verse 15, it actually speaks positively in regards to wine. Another scripture that any and everybody likes to use is when Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. I mean, that's the joke of the drunk that got pulled over and swore he only drank water, right? Jesus done it again, officer. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> All I've had is Aquafina. <laughs> now, we could argue the fermentation process of the first century versus the distillation process of the 21st century, but let's just let bygones be bygones and move on. Because here's one that is unequivocally unignorable, that John the Baptist came not eating and not drinking. I mean, my man was wearing camel skins and eating locusts and honey. Some of you may want to join me January 1st this year. We're going to do the John the Baptist fast. <laughs> want to encourage you to begin preparing now. There's some shed locust shells all over our community. You can have a hearty meal for 21 days. The Lord will bless that Nazarene vow that you take. Not really. I'm not doing that. Jesus said, John came not eating and not drinking, and you said he had a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you said he had a demon. What is Jesus saying? You're just trying to look for a reason to live the way you want to. Yeah. Jesus was not using this as a justification to do things that you're not supposed to do because Jesus also said, do not be drunk or weighed down with drunkenness. Watch, hang on, hang on. He said, do not be weighed down with drunkenness, which is really easy for every super spiritual baptized in the Holy Spirit person to say. He also said, do not be weighed down with the cares of this life. Now, I don't know what your chocolate is. I don't know if it's your children being celebrated. I don't know if, you, if it's you trying to live vicariously through people that are younger than you. I don't know if it's that you put all of your security in your finances and if those are wrong, then everything else is wrong. I don't know if you're chasing materialism or possessions and success just like society and finding your identity in what you do or do not possess and or have. I don't know what the cares of your life are, from athletics to academics to extra, extracurriculars that are all temporary and passing in this world. But Jesus is having a very serious conversation, and he says, do not be weighed down with drunkenness or the cares of this life unless that day come upon you suddenly. What day? The day of his return. Whatever it is that is your vice and or your struggle or your distraction, present it before God. Let me show you a couple of scriptures because I gave you some justifications. Let me show you a couple of scriptures that wine bibbers don't like talking about. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. 
English Standard Version. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs 31.4, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. In other words, if you're a person of influence, if you're a master of your domain, if you're a king, if you're a leader. By the way, there's other Old Testament scriptures where the Bible warns against the priest entering into the Holy of Holies, do not drink wine and or have any other strong drink lest you enter into the temple and die. See, we want to justify what we want to justify. We want to excuse what we want to excuse. But ultimately, we really all just like holding other people more accountable than we hold ourselves. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 says this, Don't be drunk with wine. And we could argue, is .08 being drunk? Or how many glasses can I have? Let me just stop right here real quick. I looked through the scripture. I have read through this entire book on more than one occasion. And I absolutely stand against anyone having anything in regards to alcoholic beverages that is not wine. Because there is no biblical justification whatsoever. Let me say unequivocally, unapologetically, there is no biblical justification for you to wind down at the end of your day with anything else that the Bible says and or refers to. The only justification in Scripture that you can have, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, hey, look, for your stomach, have a little red wine. Wine, wine, wine. The only thing that we should consume according to Scripture that could lead to drunkenness is only wine. So if you want to have a glass of wine with your dinner, you know what, if you want to have a beer or two with your dinner, that's between you and Jesus. But if you want to be on the worship team, or you want to be on the prayer team, or you want to be a group leader, or you want to work with children and or have influence with anyone under the age of 18 as a part of this church, then you do what you want to do in private, but if you post it, you're off. Why? Because we know for a fact that if we call someone else to sin, their blood is on our hands. And I've got a generation full of teenagers. I really need to pursue holiness in a way that no other generation has ever pursued holiness because without holiness, none of them will see the Lord. I have a church full of recovering addicts in a whole lot of things. And here's where we're overly cautious. Now listen, you don't get to not be cautious if you're part of the leadership of this church because you don't get to hold me to, yeah, come on somebody, you don't get to hold me to a higher accountability than you hold yourself. So if you wanna do something that maybe you are or maybe you are not supposed to do, that's between you and Jesus. If you start posting it, bragging about it, teaching it, it's between between you and me and I don't have a choice but to hold you to the conviction that God has given us as a church because we don't want anybody's blood to be on our hands and we believe absolutely that anything we do in moderation because we know that people hold pastors to higher accountability than they hold themselves and we know that other people hold believers to higher accountability than they hold themselves because we know those things we don't want to hone in we don't want to do anything in moderation that becomes their justification 
because I don't want them to see the way that I celebrate. I want them to see the way that I have covenanted my life to the call of God. And if you want to be in leadership with us, we want you to be. You just have to walk with us through some of these things. If you don't, then you don't. That's why I very rarely address this stuff. I'm not talking about Fruit Punch Minute Maid. That's actually really good. <laughs> so drinking, partying, overeating, I should probably just keep going. <laughs> Under-exercising. Overspending. Under-giving. Allowing impurity in your life. Compromising holiness because you give yourself more grace than you give others. Or standing in arrogance over people who are still struggling in a certain area. Everybody wants influence, but nobody wants accountability in what they post, in how they live, in what they say, for how they behave, for how they treat others. And we actually invite accountability, do our best to apologize and make adjustments when we fall short, because we don't want anybody to look at our story and justify their sin. We want everybody to grow closer to God together and because of us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, So whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, whether you pursue multiple degrees, serve, play sports, Get involved in debate, go to work every day, have already retired, God bless you, good for you. <laughs> whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all, somebody say all, all. for the glory of God. And if you can't do it for the glory of God, then you better be careful. If you can't do it in front of somebody else's children, then you better be careful. If you can't do it and empower others to live for Jesus like you say you want to, then you better be careful. Verse 33, Paul takes this a little bit further. He says, I try to please everyone. Now, that does not go well in southern Louisiana culture. Well, I can't help what other people think about me. You shouldn't worry or care about what other people think about you anyways. Hang on, hang on. If you don't want to be an example or a witness for the kingdom of God, then you're right. But if you care, about more, if you care more about somebody's soul than you do your preference or your soapbox, then Paul says, I try to please everyone in everything I do. I do not just do what's best for me. That's not how I live. Whether it's this 
or any other area of my life. I am not here to just gratify the desires of my flesh. I don't do what's best for me. I do what's best for others because I am more interested in the eternity of somebody else than I am my current opinion. This is not about me. Because pastoring people is an absolute privilege. Accomplishing the will of God for your life. It's not a sacrifice. He made the sacrifice. We walk in the surrender. And the blessing of surrender is greater than anything else that you think you could ever give up. Here's what we know. Matter of fact, Jesus did not sin and Jesus did not cause others to sin. This is what we know. You can't even argue it. Jesus never sinned and he never caused anybody else to stumble or sin. Why? Because God cannot tell us to do something that he was not willing to do himself. And here's, here's where I think we went wrong not just like at this church. I'm talking just Christendom as a whole. Some of you have heard me mention this before. I saw Christianity as everything that I wasn't supposed to do. Right? You think of, when you think of following Jesus, you automatically begin to think of the things that you're supposed to give up and the things that you're supposed to lay down. Here's the problem. Hone in, on, hone in with me. When that's how you define Christianity, you begin to give yourself credit for not doing things that you used to do. And you become comfortable. Oh, I'm going to take it there. You become comfortable in simply not doing things that you used to feel bad about doing. So you become comfortable in just attending services. You become comfortable in just giving a little bit. You become comfortable in just serving every now and then. Studying on occasion. Because you look at your life and you actually hold your former self more accountable than you do your current self. And so you find comfort in settling for less than God's best even though you're saved because your definition of following Jesus is all about what you're not supposed to do. But then the scripture begins to explain that this journey has nothing to do with what God has delivered you from. That's just the beginning. That's just the first step. That's just part of the process. This journey is not what you're not supposed to do. It's about all the things that God is. Hear me, listen. You are not going to be able to go to this church and settle for less than God's best in your life comfortably. You are not going to like me. Some of you are like, well, I don't. That's what I was. You're not going to be comfortable attending services here if you just came to fill a seat, if you just came to feel good about the things that you no longer do, 
if you just came to get comfort in being settled in no longer sinning because that's not Christianity Christianity is not just about what God has called me from Christianity need, believers in Jesus need to ask this question what has God saved me for what has God saved me to accomplish what is God calling me to well I don't know we'll keep walking well, I can't figure it out. I don't know what the will of God is. I just told you. If you want to wind down every day, won't you wind down with some worship? Won't you wind down in the Word of God? Won't you wind down in a conversation with your Creator? Why don't you thank God for about three things that He walked with you through on that day? And if it wouldn't have been for the Spirit of God, then you would have gotten stuck. Never settle. So we don't ask questions like, man, how much can I get away with? How far is too far? How many is too many? How many glasses, how many cans can I have before I get drunk? No, no, no. We ask questions like, how pure can I become? How much integrity can I walk in? How much like Jesus on a daily basis? How holy can I be in front of other people that so desperately need to see somebody genuinely living for Jesus no matter what's happening? We don't ask how many can I have before I'm drunk. We don't ask how much can I have before I'm in sin. No, no, no. We ask how sober-minded can I live? How alert can I become? How much can I watch, pray, and how many people can I win along the way? Paul writes about all of these things. I'm going to read through this quickly. Romans chapter 14, verse 11. For the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord... Every knee will bend to me. And every tongue, now for years, I just said confess Jesus is Lord. I think this is a better translation because this is about the covenant. Every tongue will declare allegiance to God. That means every power, every principality, Every demon, every Republican, every Democrat, every denominational leader, every non-denominational leader, every believer, every follower of Jesus, every Jehovah's Witness, every Mormon, every Muslim, every sanctified senior saint, Every rebellious reprobate, every knee will bend to the Lord, and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. It's not a matter of whether you will, it's just a matter of when. Paul continues, verse 12, yep, each of us will give a personal account to God. Verse 13, and this scripture is no less significant than the one that everybody just tried to quote with me. So let's stop condemning each other. During election years, 
no matter the opponent. Even if somebody else is promoted over us, or some pastor has moral failure. See, that puts it in a different perspective. Can I say, and, and thank God, it is the desire of my heart to make it the next 40, 50 years and be able to say as the Apostle Paul, I have finished my race, I have run the course. I have lived my life before God in good conscience up to this day. That's the desire of my heart. God forbid. Do not base your relationship with Jesus on whether or not I or any other preacher, priest, or pastor does or does not accomplish his will. Because when you stand before him, you will not stand with them. We hold ourselves to a higher accountability than we hold anyone else. So stop condemning each other. Why would people want to come and gather in the name of Jesus and leave just as condemned as they can feel every day at work, every day at school? Most bars are more welcoming than most churches, and we wonder what's wrong with our nation. Decide instead. See, that's conviction. Here's what's wrong. Let's do this. Decide instead to live in such a way that will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, thank God, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve you too. Verse 19, so then let us aim for harmony in the church and build each other up. Because we live in a society that is looking to cancel, destroy, and break the next person that gives them the opportunity. Something different should be experienced whenever they connect to the bride of Christ. Verse 20, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Let me give you the new Kuyong translation. And stop posting it. We don't care what you cooked or what you're drinking. It doesn't matter. Now, if you cook something really cool and you want to share and you're inviting everybody to come over, post away, saints of God. Do you? Just don't condemn. And watch this. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it's wrong to eat something. Oh, hang on. If it makes another person stumble. Well, I don't care what other people think. You better. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or post any of it. Or do anything. It's just better not to do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. 
You may believe, hold in, come on. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. You may believe that, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. If, that, if that's how you feel, God bless you. If it's not how we carry the conviction, then walk with us through that process. Don't be offended and miss out on the anointing. But if you have doubts, verse 23, about whether you should or should not eat something, you're sinning if you do it anyways. Wow. Well, that's not where I expected that to go. For you are not following your own convictions, and woe unto thee who learns how to become calloused to the voice of God in regards to conviction. Because when you start saying no to that still small voice in one area, it is only a matter of time before you start saying yes to the other voice in other areas. You're not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Here's what I think Paul is saying to the church in Rome, and here's where I'm going to leave you today. Never settle for less than God's best for your life. You're not going to be able to go to church here and be comfortable with living for less than God's best. We don't want you to walk around in condemnation and insecurity either. But I don't think that our nation is in the state that it's in because we have so many poor believers walking around in so much condemnation and guilt that they can't do anything for the kingdom of God. It is my personal opinion that the struggle is we have way too many born-again, baptized in the Holy Spirit believers, satisfied with watching other people accomplish the will of God for their lives. So we should hold ourselves to a higher accountability than we hold anyone else, and we should never settle for less than God's best in any area of our lives.